She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and I am really excited today to be picking up where we left off in our mini-series that I've dubbed, They Called Them Crazy. Each week we are looking into the life and legacy of a woman whom society at some point dubbed, quote, crazy. Why were they called crazy? Were they certifiably insane by today's standards? Or were there other reasons that they were shunned as such in their lifetimes? And that is what we are here to find out. Today's broad was suggested to me in my highly scientifically accurate Facebook poll by my friend and former bandmate, Joe Tommaso. Hi, Joe. I I was really surprised when Joe commented on my Facebook poll since we haven't talked in a million years. Joe happens to be an astoundingly good musician who plays a million instruments, and he makes his own reeds. Joe, you probably don't even know that I have been low-key stalking you forever because I never comment on Facebook, but uh, it was no surprise to me that the broad that Joe suggested I look into was a prolific musician herself. She also is Brazilian. We've only covered two other Brazilian broads so far on this podcast. One was Tuira Kayapo an indigenous Brazilian woman who prevented the building of a dam by holding her machete to the cheeks of the businessman representing the company trying to push the dam through. Yes, that's a must-listen episode if you have not heard it yet. Uh, And the other Brazilian broad uh, we did more recently, Alexia Salvador, the first transgender pastor in Brazil and the first trans woman in Brazil to adopt kids. And she's doing incredible work uplifting and protecting the LGBTQ youth in Brazil, where it is still very dangerous to be anything but hetero. So needless to say, I was very excited to be digging into another Brazilian babe because it seems like all Brazilians are simply badass. So who are we talking about today? None other than Chiquina Gonzaga. Chiquina was born Francisca Edviches Nevis Gonzaga on October 17, 1847 in Rio de Janeiro. Her mother, Rosa Maria de Lima, was a mestiza woman, 19 years old at the time, and she worked as a servant. And a lot of the sources I read also use the word slave in reference to what her work was. She was an enslaved person. At the time, slavery in Brazil was very common. Slavery was not abolished in Brazil until 1888, and many indigenous and mestizo Brazilians were subjugated under colonialism. Now, Chiquina's daddy was Jose Neves Gonzaga Basileu. Uh, I don't obviously speak great Portuguese, but I'm doing my best. And he was a military officer from a wealthy noble family. That in itself wasn't particularly remarkable, but what was remarkable is that despite his family's fervent objections to his marrying Rosa due to her extremely low social standing, he did it anyway. And he acknowledged Chiquinha as his heir, so she was not a bastard, and she was actually raised as the upper-class 
family noble that her dad came from. Uh, so her dad thought it would be a great idea to educate her to the fullest and make her a good match for the other nobles in the area. So Jakina has a priest named Trindade who taught her reading and writing and math and a bunch of languages and, of course, her catechisms. And she also had an uncle, Antonio Elisiu, and a local conductor, Elias Alvarez Lobo, who schooled her in music. Uh, the latter of whom specifically exposed her to a very wide variety of music, including, of all things, the local street vendors, who would make up catchy tunes to sell their products, like 19th century commercial jingles. And Chikinha took to music like a duck to water. At 11 years old, she composes her very first song, Cancao dos Pastores, Song of the Shepherds, and she performs it at her parents' Christmas party on piano, accompanied by her uncle Antonio on flute. Um, some of the sources I read said she was a rather unruly girl, generally speaking, and one article used the word rebellious about a million times, which as we know in that time period meant she just wasn't as subservient as a woman were expected to be in that time period. So her father was very, very eager to marry her off to someone that could manage that whole situation before it was too late. So when she's 16, her dad finds her a husband, Jacinto Ribeiro do Amaral, and this guy is an officer of the Imperial Navy, eight years older than she was. So he was 24, she was 16. And for her dowry, she was given a piano. Um, now, when Chiquina is only 20, she gives birth to her first child, Joao Gualberto. And then a second kid, a girl this time, Maria do Patrocinio. And at some point around like 1863, Chiquina and the babies are literally living on her husband's Navy ship. Uh, at the time, Brazil was actively engaged with the war in Paraguay at the time. And I can't say for sure, of course, this is kind of speculation, but I find that to be like pretty unusual because most women stayed home when their men were at war. Uh, and if I had to guess, this had something to do with Jacinto being a controlling asshole. He hated music, and he hated that Chiquina loved playing music. One of the sources I found said that she snuck a guitar on board the ship and taught herself to play it, and she'd play down below the decks with the other enslaved folks that were, well, she wasn't enslaved, but the enslaved folks on the ship in the lower level, she would sit there and play with them. And of course, Jacinto hated that even more. He frankly sounds like a terribly controlling, abusive man. So all this tension builds and builds, and Jacinto reaches this breaking point of sorts, and he tells Chiquina that she must either choose him and their family or music. And apparently Chiquina replies, well, sir, my husband, I do not understand life without harmony. And she asks for a divorce. Now, today, divorce is hella common, and we can cheer for her loudly for getting out of this bad situation. But in the late 1860s, it was unheard of in Brazil. Literally, Jaquina is the first woman in Brazil to 
ever receive a divorce. And, and the law is like really not kind to her at all about it. There's this really long, drawn out legal proceeding. And apparently, to complicate it all even further, when she gets off the boat after leaving Jacinto, she discovers she's pregnant again with her third kid. Hilario it becomes his name. Uh, there was apparently some kind of effort on the part, especially of her family, to see if the couple could reconcile due to the pregnancy. But ultimately, the divorce proceeds. So her family disowns her. And she is wildly disdained by the community at large for getting this divorce. She is only allowed to keep custody of her oldest child and her two younger children are given to her mother and her aunt, respectively, and she's forbidden to see them. And her entire family cuts her off after this happens. As one source puts it, quote, the gutsiness and some would argue insanity of her decision cannot be overstated. Not only did she lose economic security and custody of her two youngest children, but her father declared Chiquinha dead and of unpronounceable name. The rift in their relationship proved permanent. So her family cuts her off and she has no income. And she doesn't have uh, any support, obviously, from her husband either. She's more or less walking around with this like scarlet A on her chest, the definition of a scandalous Brazilian woman. But she's also free. And she moves to Rio de Janeiro and she starts to make friends in the bohemian circles and she starts working. She begins by playing the piano professionally and on in a few ensembles and she creates this kind of found family with all of the other bohemian musicians that were all around Rio de Janeiro. And one of these famous musicians is this famous flautist named Joaquim Antonio da Silva Callado. And he kind of takes her under his wing sweetly in 1869. He dedicates his Poca Querido por Todos, cherished by everybody. He dedicates it to her as a personal tribute. Slowly but surely, she starts to kind of build herself back up. And then she meets this wealthy railroad engineer named Joao Batista de Carvalho Jr. And she falls madly in love with him. They move in together. They end up having a baby named Alice. But it turns out that Joao is an adultering jerk. And when that becomes clear to Chiquinha in 1875, she leaves Joao and their child. Several sources talk about like her jealous rage over this incident, but I quite frankly find that stupid. <laughs> it's my opinion that jealous rage, generically speaking, is a term foisted on women to make her seem like the problem and distract from the fact that this dude couldn't keep his dick in his pants. But of course, Chiquina leaving Joao once again plunges her into scandal in the community. And she is met again with social condemnation and her reputation is tarnished again. All these words, these words repeat kind of throughout her life. So, um, post Joao in 1876, Chiquina is a 29 year old now divorcee. She's shunned by her family. She has a young son she's supporting and she doesn't possess anything, but she still has all of her amazing music talent. So she begins to teach music 
as well as some other subjects, math and history, Portuguese, geography. She's still playing in music stores and cabarets and pastry shops. She also starts composing in earnest. And she's playing with ensembles. She played with her flautist friend uh, in his ensemble, Choro Carioca, the Rio de Janeiro Choro. And they play at dances and in theaters and the houses of the nobles and stuff at big events. And she's also playing continues to play, rather, in, in pastry shops and cabarets. And apparently, this caused some sort of drama at the court of Don Pedro II. Um, the fact that she played in all these other places and cabarets. Um, the whole story sounded kind of snobby and lame, so I didn't look more into it. Um, but then, in 1877, she writes the song, Atrahente, which was designated as a polka, but was actually in this performance style known as Choro. Um, so here's a mini music history sidebar. I talked at the very beginning about how Chiquina's mom was mestizo, and this kind of multiracial ancestry was super common in Brazil, especially in Rio, and is today. So slavery then was still a common practice, and apparently up to 40% of enslaved Africans that were sent to the Americas ended up in Brazil. And it just so happens that the music and dance styles from Africa made it across the water along with the enslaved people. And those rhythms and sounds began to mesh together with both the indigenous Brazilian music as well as the European music and dances. And they all kind of came together in this new genre known as choro. And it's particularly noted to be this fast, lighthearted, and often improvised um, style of music. And Chiquinha, as we'll see in the rest of our story, becomes kind of like one of the mothers of this new exciting-as-hell sound. Um, One of the sources I said, quote, In the evolution of urban dance in Rio de Janeiro, Francesca Gonzaga played an important role because she blended and recreated the essence of the authentic choros and serenades with the prevailing European dances, end quote. So back to Atrahente, when Chiquinha unleashes it on the world, it became so popular that 15 editions of the work were published that year alone. And the song really puts her on a map as a composer and and particularly the, a leader of this, this choro music movement. Um, Jaquina, though, wasn't one to rest on the laurels of a single one-hit wonder. She was just kind of getting started. She continues composing. She begins to kind of double down. And she goes actually into, or she expands, rather, her repertoire into vaudeville and music theater. Um, Music theater wasn't like a very increasingly popular art form at the time. And it wasn't easy to break in through the ranks of these male-only composers in the field. But eventually, she she, um, writes a piece called Teatro de Revista, which was a popular year-in-review kind of theater. And it had high-energy music. um, And it kind of breaks her into that world. And she will end up writing a ton more music like this and operettas as well. Um, and she, she more or less, in the writing of the music theater and operettas, um, she ends up kind of nationalizing Brazilian music theater because her librettos were drawing heavily from lower class slang and music based on indigenous dance and choro. And we'll see this pattern kind of through the rest of her career is that she was kind of a woman of the people and she lived in um, 
a poor neighborhood and she played in these shops and she hung out with these bohemians and she brought and like infused that energy and those styles into everything she did um it's also important to note that chiquinha was a really vocal activist for these folks for social causes in general and then also for like the diversity of brazil and she would become an advocate and activist for um the suffragette, the suffrage movement, and apparently republicanism was was uh, a movement she was a part of. And I didn't look more into that, so you'll have to look that up, listeners. Um, but in the 1880s, she also becomes an activist for abolitionism, anti-slavery. Um, and she would sell sheet music to raise money for the cause. At one point, she even outright buys the freedom of a slave named Jose Flauta. I wish I knew more about that particular happening. Of course, the sources I found kind of just glance over it, so I don't know more than that, but I still find it very cool. Um, in 1885, she composes an operetta called A Corte na Roca, and with it, she also makes her conducting debut, and she becomes the first woman in Brazil to ever conduct publicly. That alone, of course, is another matter of scandal for the upper classes, but A Corte na Roca also ends up or it, rather, it ends with a dance that's known as the Mexis, which is a very, very sexy, suggestive Afro-Brazilian dance. And the snobbies, snobs, were so upset that the piece gets censored by the police. What exactly that means, I'm not sure if she got a fine or something or just had to stop playing it. But it was censored. Um, and at this point, she also kind of like, and for the rest of her career, she kind of is, starts to kind of lean into the scandal. Um, she starts to publish pieces with titles like Seductor and Satan and Don't, ins- Don't Insist Wench, which I would love to listen to. I couldn't find a video on that one. Um, let it be said, apparently there was no word in Portuguese to describe her. The press was forced to resort to the Italian term Mestrina. I'd never heard that word before, but I love that they had to like go to another language to even describe her in the newspaper. So she's continuing to publish. And in 1899, she publishes this song called O Abre Alas, which is O Open the Way. And this song is inspired by all of the street festivals and celebrations that happen in her very poor neighborhood. Um, uh, Abre Alas immediately becomes an enormous hit. It becomes the unofficial anthem of Carnival. Apparently, it's still a hit today. Apparently, they even play it at Carnival today. Like, it has lasted, at this point, centuries. But O Abre Alas is way more than just a Carnival song. There is a lot of hidden meaning kind of buried inside it. Because we know, you know, Chiquin is super bright and she ends up kind of building in almost a thesis of kinds uh, in duality and paradox into this song. There was one source I found that describes the song, quote, its main characteristic, the striking display of paradox in order to challenge it. The dualities of male and female, individual and collective, passive and active, rigid and flexible are all being challenged, as well as seriousness and joy and discipline and insubordination. 
o abre a las questions the rules of society and gender. It transforms the social axis from male to female. Through the pairing of rhyming verbs, Chiquinha turned negation into victory and denied the status quo in favor of a new kind of consciousness, the realization of female freedom. End quote. Holy fuck, right? Like, oh my God. Like, not only is she writing, but she's writing a song that challenges all of the boxes that Brazilians and Brazilian women are being put in. Now, at this time, Chiquinha is also working in Portugal. So she travels back and forth in 1902 and 1904, even before that too. Uh, and she stays a little bit longer. She stays from 1906 to 1909. But at some point while she's over there, she meets a Portuguese musician named Joao Batista Fernandes Lage, or Lage. Uh, and she takes him as her lover, which is really... You know, she kind of deserves some happiness. Apparently, she had met some other... There were some... Some of the sources mentioned some previous men and even maybe marriages, but not all the sources talked about him, so I'm not going to dig into that. But this guy, all the sources talk about. But there's a big problem in this relationship being that he's 36 years her junior. He's only 16 when they meet. And obviously... That I have mixed feelings about it too, because that is quite the age difference, and he's pretty young. And Chiquina isn't an idiot. I, I believe she's about 50. Uh, I didn't write the year in my notes, but she's about 50 at this point. She's not an idiot. She knows that this is going to cause a kind of scandal that she that would like not boost her music sales. So when she brings him back to Brazil, um, she brings him in 1902, she introduces him as her son. And under this pretense, they move in together and they would end up living the rest of their lives together or the rest of her life, rather. Um, apparently, only one or two very close friends knew the truth and everyone else thought that, that she had like adopted him. Anyway, back to the music. In 1912, Chiquina writes Forobodo, which is a burlesque comedy. Forobodo was the name of the suburban nightclub that was attended um, primarily by Afro-Brazilians and low-income people. So like a low, like a, you know, a low-class bar. And the performance, the show itself, really showed off the diversity of that audience. They had like dark and light-skinned men and women and they showed the idler and the Portuguese immigrant and the French prostitute, like all the people that would come together in this club were on stage in front of audiences that didn't always witness the diversity of Brazil. And the audience was super into it. It was, it's considered widely to be the first time that the daily life of Brazil and like the common people were performed on Brazilian stage. And it becomes her most successful theatrical work. It runs for over 1,500 performances um, through, through, the, for, through the year. So by 1925, it had had over 1,500 performances. Um, then in 1900, so back up a little bit, um, she had met and become friends with this young woman named Nair Tefe von Hunholz. And she was a painter, singer, pianist, cartoonist, multifaceted talent, obviously. And then fast forward a little bit. 
over a decade. And then in 1913, Nair, this very talented young woman, marries Hermes Rodriguez de Fonseca, who was the president of Brazil. And she becomes the nation's first lady. And this provided like a really unique opportunity to, to both Chiquina and Nair. The following year after they get married, they team up uh, Ch- Chiquina and Nair and they present a big event at the presidential palace. And Chiquina plays the piano, and Nair is on guitar, and they perform Chiquina's Corta Jaca. And the whole performance is, I'm sure you guessed it, scandalous as hell. Nobody had ever played popular music with African dance roots at the palace before, especially not on guitar, which was generically regarded as like this instrument for the poor people and the drunk people. And of course, Nair and Shakina didn't give a shit. They just went out there totally fearless in these halls of power and they made this big musical statement, not just musical, but political, about the worthiness and importance of celebrating the culture of Brazil's oppressed people. Now, Shakina is also, or was also, a big advocate for copyright protection both for authors and for musicians. For most of her career, other musicians would copy her popular songs and they'd make money off of her hard work. And it was really upsetting to her. So she campaigned for years for more protections on copyrights uh, and, and music. And finally, in 1917, she founds the Brazilian Society of Theater Authors, or SBAT. It was the first organization of its kind, and it sought to protect lyricists and composers from publisher exploitations. The association is still active today, and its headquarters are in Rio de Janeiro. Chiquina would continue to compose throughout the rest of her life. Quote, in every song, she demonstrated a unique, personal, and determined reaction to the problems posed to her, constantly risking misunderstanding and scandal, but also creating opportunities for her sometimes revolutionary ideas. Her work contributed substantially to her vision and critique of society. Her actions and way of life made opinions concrete, which, in turn, opened up new horizons for Brazilian women, end quote. Her last composition would be an opera named Maria, and she writes that when she's 86. And then in January 1935, 50 years after her de- her debut in the theater with A Corte na Roca, she celebrated her artistic jubilee as a conductor. And then just a month after that, February 28th, 1935, at 87 years of age, Chiquinha Gonzaga passed away. And she left behind around 2,000 pieces of music, uh, including the music for no less than 77 plays and dozens of scores for music theater and opera. Um, my sources also did say that Joao Batista Fernandes Laje was at her side when she shoved off the mortal coil, um, which was a nice little button to that story for a woman who experienced a lot of trouble with you know, her male partners before she met him. He was the right one, I guess, even though he was 16. Yikes. But that, my friends, is the story of Chiquinha Gonzaga. 
And it is not a story about craziness, as far as I can tell. So you might be wondering why we are talking about her today. And I will just repeat the words of Joe, my friend Joe, when he suggested her. Chiquina Gonzaga, first female conductor of an orchestra in Brazil, also is the reason women were given the legal right to divorce. Yes, she did that too. She was considered crazy for thinking women should have an input in their own marriage. A true icon. Well, Joe, I couldn't agree more. She's definitely an icon and a broad we should know. To learn more about Chiquina Gonzaga, see pictures and videos of her music, you can go on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, click on over to the About page and read more about me if you're curious. I've got my bio, photo, links to my cool stuff is all there. Uh, and are you following Broads You Should Know on social? We are on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? I hope you are. And if you are, please help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family. And better yet, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. It's not a joke. It really helps. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you really enjoyed hearing about Chiquina Gonzaga and her Brazilian mastery of music, then you ought to check out our other Brazilian broads. Check out that episode about Tuira Kayapo and Alexia Salvador, the first transgender shepherd of South America. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.